When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Blog and James, for the first time in quite a long time, it's not a goodly morning. I know. The penultimate potential goodly morning before Christmas as well. Uh, How they've sad. let us down. They've let us down. I know, at this festive time of year, the goodliest time of year, really. Bastards. You could say. That's what they always... They've said that for generations, haven't mm, they? Yeah. It's the most goodly time of the year. Well, not this morning. No. Goodly King Wenceslas looked out his window and said... On the feast of St Mary's. Yeah. And said, this is bullshit. Absolute bollocks, mate. That's what it is. Yeah. <sighs> I, I before we get into it, can I just uh, give you a little um, uh, what's the word? Not not advice, but here's the thing: you think you know everything about bacon? Do you think you know everything about bacon? Uh, I, I I wouldn't say I know everything, but I'd say I'm you know I'm, I've got some knowledge in the field. Right, streaky bacon done in the oven, game changer, game changer. What happens? It just cooks really nicely. If you do it in the oven, it takes longer than just frying it up in the pan or even grilling it, but just do it in the oven. Lay it out in some tin foil. Trust me, you'll never look back. That, uh, that does sound good. I saw some bacon advertised the other day and I didn't eat it because I am trying to eat it less so that my heart attack happens later. Sure. But it was advertised as like treacle cured bacon. Treacle? I mean, you get maple quite regularly. Treacle, I'm talking Treacle. about. Treacle, right. I'm not sure about that. Uh, I mean, I was intrigued. Mm. Um, I think it was Frank's in Highbury, for anyone who knows the area, that were advertising it. I- I'm going to go back, but I think only once the sort of Christmas period is properly underway sure. and then it's like all bets are off, you know? Well, I think yeah, this is your mission. You're going to have to report back on this Treacle bacon for us at some point in the okay. future. All right, good. Shall we then get on with the uh, the football and the first defeat in 22 games, Southampton 3, Arsenal 2, Um I'm feeling a bit kind of, I won't say I'm feeling okay, but I'm feeling quite philosophical about this defeat because I felt for a while like it was coming. Mm. Um, there have been games where we've ridden our luck. We spoke about the horse. The horse is now dead, probably somewhere being turned into fucking treacle bacon. Horse yeah. bacon, imagine such a thing. Anyway, the horse is dead and Unai Emery fell off the horse as well, but he seems to be okay, unlike most of our defenders. Um there were mitigating circumstances. I think it was a pretty awful display 
poor performance uh, by the team. I'm not sure the manager got as many things right as he should have got right. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a first defeat in 22 is not not bad. So we can analyze the game, but I think we can look at it through the context of, okay, it was it was going to happen sooner or later, and if I, you know our chickens came home to roost yesterday, yeah, the chickens came home to roost and evicted the horse. I think I was preparing for you to be like, oh, this was really bad, and I'm sad about it. And I was going to say, I think I was thinking, oh, I know what I'll do. I'm, I'll take the stance of I'm actually not that sad about it. Um, unhelpfully, I think we both sort of think the same thing. Yeah, I. Look, I mean, there were mitigating circumstances and I do think those contributed and I'm sure we'll talk about those. I also don't think this was a dramatically worse performance than some of the games we've won or drawn. That's fair, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and Emery said that himself after the game. He was like, you know, we've played like this and won. Um, and I think, you know, if you, were, if you were viewing the performances in their entirety and not just looking at the results, it wasn't necessarily that surprising, mm. some of what we saw at Southampton. Um, so yeah, I, I look twenty three is my lucky number. I would have loved to get to twenty three. Uh, I would love to have got three points, but you have to lose a game eventually. And I just think we weren't quite at the level we want to be. And I think circumstances conspired against us enough that it didn't go in our favour this time. Yeah, true. And you know, I I have wondered for some weeks what or if the pressure of the unbeaten run was becoming something of a burden on us, a bit of a millstone around our necks. And what would we be like? When we lose a game, how are we going to respond? I think it's going to be very informative and educational for us to see how this team and how the manager responds to mm. to a defeat. Because, you know, we did lose those opening two games, but since then, nothing. So there is there is a way of finding out more about your team in defeat through difficult times. You discover who the characters are, what the personalities in the team are like, who is going to step up, who's going to get downhearted, all that kind of stuff. Um so I'm really curious to see where we go from here. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit trepidatious because we have some injuries now. Hector Bellerin's injured as well on top of Rob Holding. Um, Kolasinac injured again. He's quite brittle, that guy, isn't he? He, he seems to miss games uh, fairly yeah. regularly. So we do have some problems in, in that particular area, but I'm curious to see where we go and how we, how we respond. So... Let's start with the team selection. I assume that the deployment of Granit Xhaka at left centre half in the back three was because Kolasinac was injured. Otherwise, I guess he would have played as the left wing back and Monreal would have played in the back three. Do you Mm. feel like that's a decision that he got wrong? Because I do, I have to say. Well, uh... I would say that the injury to Kolasinac hurt us a lot, actually, uh, partly because he's become one of our main attacking outlets. I know Monreal did pretty well and, in fact, got an assist for our first goal, but Kolasinac has been so important to our approach play in terms of getting him behind on that overlap. So having to take Monreal out of centre-half, put him at left wing-back, I think it cost us our left wing-back, it cost us our centre-half in the shape of Monreal, and it cost us a really important central midfield player. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, Shaka and Torreira, I think, is kind of one of the key hubs on which the unbeaten run has been built. Uh, and so being without that, I think, did hurt us on the day. So, yeah, I think yeah. on reflection, 
he got it wrong. I actually didn't have a huge problem with it when I saw it in the lineup. I think Shaka is one of the three centre backs. You know, you can sort of defensively get away with it, and I think it's really important to have a passer in there. But I suppose the alternative would have been what Monreal at centre half, and then Maitland Niles, Niles at left, left wing back. Yeah, I yeah. think for me because we were so weak anyway at centre half. You know, with Monreal just coming back from injury, Licksteiner, who I mean, I like his attitude, but man. I think we could probably beat him in a race. He, he yeah. looks, I don't want to say old because it sounds pejorative, but he does kind of look old in Premier League terms, doesn't he? He looks like a man who is running through treacle at times, and he's very experienced and everything else, but I don't think he's naturally a, a centre-half either. And then Koscielny is coming back from his big injury. Uh, so we were weak in that central defensive area anyway. So I would have thought that the best way to combat that is to make yourself as strong as possible everywhere else. Mm. So make sure you've got a midfield that functions, that can dominate, that can take control of the game, which I think, you know, even if you were to play the three midfielders, you know, if you were to play um, Genduzi in there with Torreira and Xhaka, you know, you, you give yourself maybe a platform from which to do that. When you take Xhaka out, you know, there's a lot to like about Genduzi, but there's also a very raw, inexperienced player on the pitch, which is what he is, and he's very willing, and he runs, and he, you know, he's got a good range of passing, but we saw at times yesterday his inexperienced show, so I think that was kind of a mistake. I can kind of see why he did it, because he so few options, but I think it was, I think hindsight is great and everything else, but I think it was a decision that he got wrong on the day. Um, so... That, what about go on. sticking with the back three itself? Did you I, did you understand that? Yeah, I understood that again because it, it's a weird kind of catch-22 situation when you've only got one established centre-half in Koscielny and he is only just back from six months out. You know, mm. it's a lot to ask him to play in a back four. So I could see why um, he he stuck with the back three especially away from home. But I think as well, part of what um, you need in a back three are players to do some of the running for for the guy in the middle. Uh, Lichtsteiner can't do a great deal of running. Monreal, I think, might have been a better option. I mean, I don't think Xhaka was bad at centre-half. I think no. he was maybe a little bit culpable on the third goal, but that was a, a wider issue. Uh, but generally speaking, I thought he played quite well there. But it's just not having him in, in midfield that, that is the problem. Mm. Yeah, I thought, you know, individually, you look at his game, it's not like he was, you know, out of position all the time or making major errors. I do think we missed him in the middle of the park. I thought Ginduzi, I thought he was actually better than I think most did. Uh, I've seen him get very mixed press, but, you know, when you look at our best play in the first half, he was the guy who found the pass for Aubameyang yep. for his left-footed shot. He was the guy who found the pass for Torreira, who then squared mm. for, almost for a tap-in for Aubameyang. Yeah. Um, in our second goal, it was him closing down with Lacazette that, that prompted the ball to break to Mkhitaryan. But I would concur that, you know, it was defensively where we saw maybe his inexperience. Yeah. He, st- he stood off at times when he needed to press and close down the cross. But I didn't think individually he was particularly poor. I just thought we missed, you know, Shaka in the last few weeks has got better and better defensively, I think. Um, and Emery's trusting him more and more. And I think it was, I remember seeing in the Huddersfield game, when we went to 1-0, 
the first thing that Emery did on the touchline was call Shaka over and basically tell him to sit right in front of in front of the back four at the time, which, you know, mm. entrusting Shaka like that would have been difficult, I think, six months ago. But I think he's got stronger and stronger in that part of his game. And I think you're right, we did miss him there at the base of the midfield because Southampton were very fired up, weren't they? I mean, they had a new manager, mm. a crowd that was reinvigorated, had a reason to believe, and they were physically more intense than us in that first half. Yeah, certainly. You could see, actually, when we came out in the second half that we were much more... There was much more effort and intensity by the way we were trying to close down, particularly when we didn't have the ball. So it was indicative of uh, a really poor first half. Um, any issues with the selection of Mkhitaryan and Iwobi? You know, they haven't really produced... Obviously, Mkhitaryan got two goals yesterday, so he justified his selection in that regard. Iwobi played a part in the in the first equaliser, played a ball down the line to Monreal. So, you know, I don't know how far back you want to go uh, to give somebody credit. Um, I, I thought he struggled a little bit. I don't think the attacking side of our game was good enough, considering the, the players we had on the pitch and considering some of the chances that we had. So we're going to talk about the defending, but just before we do, I think you've got to look at the attack. When you have a uh, a weakness in your defence, like we do, and it's not just it's not just yesterday. It's not just yesterday. Uh, we, we really need the attack to fire. And when the attack doesn't fire and you're defensively weak, you could get found out, and yesterday was the day when that happened. Yeah, and if you look at our best performances and our best results this season, they have been the ones where the attackers have kind of taken the half chances, you know. And yeah. uh, when we've when we've come up short, you know, on almost on every occasion, we can, apart from maybe the exception of the opening game, the Man City game, we can think back at chances that we missed. And I think the same is actually true at Southampton. And Emery made that point afterwards. You know, yes, we were poor defensively, but kind of we've been poor defensively all season. It's going forward where we've had to be incredibly efficient. And maybe eventually your your luck and the odds kind of run out there yeah. a bit. But I, I didn't have any issue with the selection of Mkhitaryan and Wobi. I know that he kind of said, tends to select them as a pair. And uh, in theory, I like what they do. I think Mkhitaryan, you know, he got two goals and they've been coming because he gets into really good positions, but he hasn't been taking those chances. But got a bit of luck with his second and a good finish with the first. Iwobi, I agree, is having a a little dip at the moment. I think he's not quite at the level that he was a few weeks ago. But I do still like him. I still like what he... I still like what I feel is like the courage with which he's playing this season. Even when it's not working, I don't think he's simplifying. I don't think he's going back to basics. I think he's still trying to be progressive and trying to be penetrative with that be that with dribbling or passing. Yeah. It's just not it's just not happening and coming off quite enough. No, and I think maybe the 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 issue okay, Iwobi and his lack of end product is certainly an issue, but the the wider issue is the lack of uh, alternatives at this yeah. point. We did have Ramsey and Ozil on the bench. Ozil came on for for uh, Iwobi at about 70 minutes. And I think we would have brought Ramsey on had Licksteiner not got injured, uh, which yeah. was yeah, a bad tackle, actually. I thought that was a, a really nasty tackle from behind um, on him, which injured him. So we were kind of blunted in that sense that the injuries robbed us of, uh, you know, we had to make change at halftime because Hector Bellerin got injured, Lacazette came on. Uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of see where you're coming from with Iwobi, but... I would like 
Emery to go in a different direction for a few weeks and let Iwobi work his way back into the team rather than be there on default because he's athletic or because he he feels like he can do uh, a job away from home in, in keeping the team compact. I think we need more from him. And there was a really interesting moment. We just equalized um, Mkhitaryan's second equalizer maybe 60 seconds later or two minutes later there was a great chance for Iwobi uh, Aubameyang sort of rolled the ball back to him and he just blasted it over the bar and mm-hmm. that lack of composure maybe <sighs> took the game in a different direction perhaps you know had he scored there and I think it was a good chance for him to score we're 3-2 up and all of a sudden we've changed the momentum of the game and yeah. In those positions, we need players like Mkhitaryan, as he did yesterday, and credit to him for for doing it, to to produce. And when you don't produce, it can come back and bite you in the arse. And that's what happened yesterday uh, to an extent. Now, I'm not blaming Iwobi for, for the fact that we can't defend. I'm just saying that in those moments, we need better from players in those positions. And that's why I think... Uh, you know, there's a there's a lot to like about Iwobi's game, but there's also a lot that needs work. Uh, and that's certainly one of the areas that, that needs work. And, you know, I, I would like maybe to see something different. I know we're, we're not necessarily um, high on options, but I think he's got to he's got to consider it um, in the games to come. Yeah, I mean, I still think almost irrespective of what he does from the start, you're going to see a lot of Iwobi because I think he's a player who Emery likes using and and likes to use to kind of change the shape of the game where he can. Mm. Um, But maybe it will be less from the start. I mean, like you say, it's it's about alternatives. I'm sure we'll get on to, you know, at some point in the show, Ramsey and Ozil and, you know, is it right there on the bench? Is Is it time to reintegrate them more permanently into the starting 11? I suppose they would be the the obvious alternatives, but it seems there are components about Emery's game that, sorry, about Iwobi's game rather, yeah. that Emery finds it difficult to do without or, you know, that he, mm. that he finds particularly important. So it's kind of about finding someone who can do a, a similar job. I agree with you, he's not efficient enough. And when that ball was backheeled to him by Aubameyang and he sort of set himself to curl it, you know, it's yeah. telling I never really <laughs> felt... It was going in, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could see where it was. You could see where it was going. Uh, and Aubameyang missed a couple of chances too. So you know he wasn't alone in being profligate. But uh, yeah, look, maybe just a, a couple of games on the bench might be what he needs. And if we can find a, a solution or find somebody to bring into the team, whether it's playing with the two strikers or mm. something else, I, I think we have to we have to consider it. So let's go through the through the goals. The first one. Um, Maybe we could have done more to stop the cross, but it was a very good cross and a very, very good header. Koscielny probably could have done better. I think Koscielny in a couple of weeks would would defend that. It's uh, quite weird that he goes with his foot isn't yeah. it, rather than his head. Well, you know what it is? It, it, this I said it in the blog today. There is a difference between being physically fit and being match fit. And you could see mm. that yesterday with Koscielny. His timing was just off by a half a second or a second. And at this level, that's what gets you in trouble or uh, gets you punished. And we saw that yesterday. Uh, you know, the, the the second goal, look, a cross can go over a, a defender's head. That can happen. Uh, it, was a, it was a decent cross. Um, 
I wouldn't blame him so much for that one, but certainly the first one. I think in a couple of weeks' time, when he's fit, when he's sharp, when his timing is right, there was one moment, wasn't there, where he just collided with Lichtsteiner, where he came to get the ball and just wasn't quite there uh, in time, uh, whereas I think once he gets a few games under his belt, he would be. And I think that first goal was a case of a guy who's been out for six or seven months, who's physically fit and doing all the training, but has barely played any football in six or seven months. And that's where... I think the the defensive issue with that particular goal was, of course, and he's been rushed back in, you know, much quicker than I think anyone would have yeah. anticipated or or ideally liked. Well, I will sort of, you know, go through with the breakdown of these goals as that's what we do. You know, we talk about the goals in minute detail and, you know, whose fault was standing half a yard that way or half a yard that way. What I will say actually about all three Southampton goals is that. I think for the most part, certainly the first two were really good crosses and really good headers. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I think we definitely could have done better in each instance, but I think you also have to sometimes stand back and say, kind of statistically, the chance of the cross being that good and the header being that good is pretty slim. And they got, you know, in a, in a sense, lucky that they were quite so brilliant in those instances. Yeah, maybe. But I think, you know, the second goal in particular, where we allowed Redmond far too much time and space, Iwobi was switched off, Genduzi was switched off. They both should have closed him down much more quickly. And, uh, you know, he got the cross in. And it is a very good header from Danny Ings. I do wonder if Danny Ings should have been on the pitch, by the way, because there was a foul on Koscielny just minutes before their first goal, which I think could easily have been a red card. Uh, the referee saw it and just played on. He went over the ball and straight into Koscielny's shin, studs up. I think that could have easily been a red card, which isn't to blame the referee for our defensive failings, but obviously that would have had a significant impact on the uh, on the outcome of the game when their goal scorer would not have been on the pitch. So, uh, you know, that's a, a different issue. We still have to deal with what we have to deal with. Uh, so we, we got the first equaliser, Mkhitaryan, good header, finished it well. Um bit of luck with the second equaliser deflections took it past yeah. the goalkeeper and then we have that big chance for Iwobi let me bring you forward then to the 70th minute where we bring on Mesut Ozil for uh, Alex Iwobi was that the change you would have made if you were in there and I know people are going to roll their eyes to heaven when I say I would have brought on Aaron Ramsey uh, for Iwobi rather than Ozil um, well, no, I think I would too, because I thought Lacazette, when he came on, made a real difference. He worked incredibly hard. He was involved in the pressing, which led to the the second equaliser. And I felt that we were playing um, a much more physically intense game. We were physically working Southampton much harder, particularly in that top end of the pitch. And I think, uh, you know, as as much as Iwobi was disappointing on the day, he was contributing to that. And I think Ramsey would have contributed to that. And I felt that Ozil, um, when he came on, was really peripheral. And, you know, he was ostensibly playing from the right. Mkhitaryan switched over to to the left, and that was probably part of it. He wasn't really getting the ball. But I don't think he was hugely helpful in terms of the pressing that we've been doing in the second half either. It's a a weird one, isn't it? Because... It's odd that Emery would say of Ozil, you know, we went to Bournemouth and we, you know, the match was sort of too physically intense for him and he left him on the bench. And yet that Southampton game was so much more physically intense. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he knew he should have known that about the new coach there. That's the, you know, the Alpine Klopp. That's the kind of style he wants to introduce. And they were fired up for their new manager. 
Uh, and yet it was Ursula turned to in that situation. And I don't know, you know, I know you talked about it in your blog, was he simply holding his position on the right, but he wasn't really coming deep, he wasn't getting on the ball. I found it, it so strange. So yeah. strange. You know, here we are, and we'd actually pushed them back. You know, they got to the point where we were we were pushing them way back. They were tired because they put in a huge physical effort. And there was a moment, maybe two or three minutes before they scored, where it could have been Shane Long. He just whacked the ball clear. And Jamie Redknapp on commentary is going, oh, he's trying to push his team higher up the pitch. You know, they're sitting too deep, but it's really difficult when you're tired. You know, we were we were dominating them in terms of the territory anyway. And mm. I thought it was so odd that when the ball was being played around the back, it was Ginduzi who was picking up the ball and it wasn't Mesut Ozil who was dropping deep, picking it up, looking for the passes, looking to create something and start moves. And he was high up the pitch and there was one moment, I think, where he combined quite nicely with, I can't remember if it was Lacazette or Aubameyang, a couple of little step-overs and, you know, yeah. a, a really nice move, which ended in a corner, not a not a shot. Um, so maybe he was instructed to play higher up the pitch. But when you are, nominally, one of the best playmakers in Europe, why don't you get on the ball? Why don't you take responsibility and try and create something for your team. I found mm. it really strange. I, I, I can't believe that the instruction to Mesut Ozil was to just sort of drift around the two forwards. I can't get why that would be the case. Um, so I thought his performance was, was really quite odd. I think if he was going to come on, I think we probably should have changed the shape to accommodate him. I mean, ultimately, the right-hand side in what is ostensibly a 4-4-2 would never be the position that you'd think, oh, Ursula's going to have a great time here. Yeah. Um, and I think that may have been part of it. And I, actually, I was really disappointed, obviously, when Lichtsteiner went off and Ramsey didn't get on because I was looking at the game thinking, I think this is made for Aaron Ramsey. Yeah. I I just felt the way... The way that their midfield was tiring, the way we were beginning to sort of overwork them. And, and, and let's say while we're talking about this that, you know, at 2-2, that it only looked like there was one winner in the game. I know it ultimately didn't go that way, but I was encouraged that uh, we weren't just sitting back on the unbeaten run. I really did feel like we were pushing and, and trying to take the three points. Ultimately, though, uh, we got caught, didn't we? Mm, we did get caught and... Well, it was a, a step over in midfield for Mesut Ozil. I'm not sure he did quite enough after he lost the ball. I think he could maybe have done a bit more there. I'm not sure that that was the right decision either, you know, to step over the ball in central midfield, you know, whatever about doing it on the edge of a box. But, you know, you've got to take the ball there and keep possession and, and keep things moving. They had far too much space there on the left-hand side. I don't know where Monreal was or why he was tucked so far in field. Shane Long could have been closed down more quickly by Granit Xhaka, I think. I think that's it. I think Monreal basically expected Xhaka to step out almost as the fullback, you know, and uh, and deal with Shane Long because that Monreal was heading into play as a centre-half, really, as he chased back. But, you know, that's one of those things where maybe if Xhaka had played centre-half his whole life... He and Monreal would have that understanding where, you know, he would move out to the flank and Monreal would tuck in instead of him. But Shaka didn't really know how to defend that situation. I did think you could see that in that instant. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he's not naturally a defender. 
Xhaka. You know, nah. but I, I, I do think he should have closed down the closed down the cross more quickly, and that's you know when you have a weak defense or when you know you're defensively weak, it really is important to to just stop the danger as high up the pitch as you can. Don't let crosses in. Uh, Southampton showed that they are good in the air with headed goals, and they scored another headed goal. But I don't think Bernd Leno will be particularly pleased with his part in in that third goal. If he comes, he's got to get the ball. Simple as that. And he missed it. And I think that is a weakness in his game, isn't it? Mm. Crosses, set pieces, deliveries into the box. He's not as convincing as he should be. Like, I think Petr Cech would get to that ball. I think where his mistake is you know, is his footwork, isn't it? Because ultimately, he just it's not like he stays on his line, doesn't go for it. He does go for it. He, he misses it by a fraction. But I guess that's because his dive doesn't take place really from the right place. And when you watch it, as Long kind of goes through, he, he kind of comes out. He almost goes to narrow the angle. He yeah. hesitates, then he goes back to his line. Then when he actually sort of makes the dive to try and intercept the cross, he's doing so from from the near post. So it's just too far for him to get there. And uh, Charlie Austin, I mean, God, we make that guy look good. Yeah, we really do. We really do. Was five games and five or five yeah. goals in five games against us? I mean, he's not a bad player, but you know, fuck, he's a thorn in our side. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, defensively, I just thought I, I don't want to make excuses. Um, well, I do kind of want to make excuses. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, one. I would say about Koscielny, I know we talked about his fitness um, and I think that was obviously a huge factor, his, his sharpness rather. But I also think when you look at the first two goals we conceded, positionally he was a bit off and I think that's partially a bit of rust. But I also think he was being asked to play as the central pivotal defender in a back three and actually I've never seen Laurent Koscielny play that role. Um, you know, when he came back on Thursday, he played as the left-sided centre-half in a four, which is something he knows incredibly well. Mm. In this game, he was asked to be uh, in the middle of a three, which he doesn't know particularly well, and also with two guys who aren't natural centre-halves outside him. I just think as well, it was kind of an injury too far. And when Bellerin and Licksteiner went off in the course of the game, I mean, it, it is crazy how they've dropped like flies, our defenders. And the the unbeaten run was kind of built primarily on... Rob Holding really playing every game and then Socrates and even Mustafi alongside him. You know, that's been Emery's defensive core and he had to go into this game without any of those guys. And I do just think we paid the price, really. We did, we did. But we've been defensively poor throughout the season. We concede far too many goals. We've conceded 23. 23, just to put it in perspective. Liverpool, top of the table, have conceded seven. Mm. Manchester City, 10. Tottenham 16, Chelsea 14, and we are 23, um, you know, which is so, more yeah. than some teams much lower down the table. Same as Crystal Palace, more than Newcastle. You know, it's too many goals. Um, and I think we've always said that defence was was going to be the big issue for Unai Emery um, when it comes to, I guess, figuring out what to do with, with, with this particular team. It was going to be the big challenge because the personnel are not great, I think it's fair to say. And I, and now, with the injury to holding and with Koscielny coming back, and, uh, you know, I still think as, as heartwarming as the Koscielny story is, and I'm sure you watched the documentary, which was 
brilliant. The one on Arsenal.com. Yeah, really fantastic. It was really great and it was fantastic to see him back. And, and uh, we have to bear in mind, though, that he's had a traumatic injury. He's 33 years of age and that has to play a part in our thinking, that he is 33. And that in the longer term, we have to sort out the centre of our defence. I think we've got one player who could do a job for a couple of seasons in Socrates. Mustafi has been, he's so inconsistent. We've had nearly three seasons of Mustafi now, and I don't think we've seen any significant improvement in him. So the quality of the players that we have back there is always going to present Emery with a challenge. And I think now we lack depth and it's important that the club back him in the transfer window in January. He said himself, it's not the easiest time to buy players. Raul Sanyehi has said exactly the same thing. And I understand it. I think any one of us can understand it on a logical, sensible um, point of view. It's not the ideal time, but if we want to achieve what they want us to achieve this season, we are going to have to try and do something in January. I think so. I think so. And it's interesting how it's shifted, hasn't it? When Danny Welbeck got his injury, you know, all the talk was, well, we need a supplementary attacker. But now I think the scale of the crisis really at centre-half has has moved the priorities. Uh, and I do think we need one. And I also think it's no point just bringing in another body. You know, there's no point, I don't think going and getting Gary Cahill on loan. No. I think I think we need to bring in a centre-half who can make a difference to our first team in the longer term. And the great advert for it, and I know it's probably at a price point we couldn't compete with, but is what Liverpool have done. I mean, seven Premier League goals conceded this season. We've scored the same amount of Premier League goals as Liverpool. Uh, and they're the league leaders, but that's the difference defensively. That's mm. the difference that's keeping us out of the top four at present. You know, I think it's seven goals more we've conceded than any other side in the top four. Yeah. Even though we've outscored some of them. So that's really where we need to improve. I know it's easier said than done to go and get a commanding centre-half, but I think we've got to push the boat out and try and make it happen this January. Um, yeah. I think we need it. And we need it, in, we need it in pure numbers terms. But what I'm saying is I, I think we need to be more ambitious than just making up the numbers, if we can, in this Sure, window. sure. You know, it, it is... Champions League football is vitally important for Arsenal. Yeah. You know, the longer you're out of the Champions League, the more difficult it is to get back into it. And we, I think, still have a good chance of finishing in the top four. You know, it's it's going to be a battle. It's going to be difficult. Uh, there is a bit of a, a bit too much of a gap between us and Tottenham at this point, for my liking. Uh, Especially given that we beat them a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. That's it. I mean, they've they haven't drawn a game this season. They've drawn none. We've drawn four. We've and they've right. lost four. You know. So, um, yeah, I hope the club back him, and I hope the the owners understand that if they want this manager to be a success and to do a good job, they can't just sit there and hope for him to make up the difference with being a a clever tactician or plotting against the opposition for every game. You know, all of those things he's been doing this season and they probably have played a part in us achieving good results, but it's been a... You know, it's been a bit of a fucking slog, hasn't it? 
you know, there have been a few games where we've played really well and we've dominated and it's been a brilliant performance. But for the most part, the results during that unbeaten run in the Premier League, we've kind of had to work really, really, really hard for them. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have to work hard, but at some point the effort is going to take its toll and maybe we're seeing that in terms of the injuries. Something doesn't go quite your way. You don't get the rub of the green and you lose points and you lose games and you lose Mm. ground on the opposition. And, you know, if they're really, really serious, they're going to have to back him in this transfer window and in the next transfer window as well. So I think there's only so much he can do with the players that he's got. That's what I'm saying, defensively. Yeah, I think he's pulled off an extraordinary uh, tightrope act, Unai Emery, for 22 games here because he's won matches by such narrow margins, it's felt like at times. You know, us taking half chances, the opposition missing clear chances. You know, that's been a hallmark Mm. of this run. And I don't actually put that down to fluke. I think that's because he really has very quickly established a winning mentality at the club. And I think, you know, when you look at a team, you know, good teams, winning teams are able to take advantage of those those narrow margins. And that's where they make the difference in the, in the finest, finest areas, fractions of games, they make the difference. Yeah. But I would like it to be more comfortable. And it's never really been comfortable, has it? Throughout that unbeaten stretch, it's never been particularly comfortable. Uh, and I think that's, tells you something I think about the fact that we are we're almost doing well in spite of ourselves at times you know there are sure. deficiencies in the team and the squad that do need correcting so I hope that starts in January and Emery I like that he has I know yesterday he was kind of playing that well it's difficult January but I like that he's been up front and forthright about it about wanting a defender because you know he's got what a three-year contract he's only got so many windows to get this right, to get the team that he wants in place. And I think he's done enough in his first few months in the job to warrant the faith of the board and the owner in going and getting him a player that he needs. Absolutely. And look, let's not be under any illusions here. This is not about, you know, uh, a frippery of some kind. This is a necessity. He doesn't just want a new player for the sake of a new player. It's not a transfer because we want a nice, shiny new thing. It's because we actually need a player in that position and we need to improve the quality of the players that we've got in that position. You know, even one really good central defender can have a huge effect on a team as Van Dijk has shown at Liverpool. You know, yeah. remember how how porous Liverpool were under Jurgen Klopp until m- more or less this season, would you say? Maybe there was improvement last season, but you know, in the first... A little bit, second half of last yeah. season. You know, but they, they had a lot of central defenders, a lot of guys who didn't look quite good enough. And, you know, this is a guy, we know that Klopp really works his players hard and he looks for intensity and he looks for uh, for pressing and all that all that hard work stuff that, that we expect from players these days. But they were terrible defensively. And they found a really, really good player who kind of holds everything together and is making other players around him better as well. So... You know, I'm not saying that we can go and find a Virgil van Dijk in this transfer window. You know, that's not what I'm saying. And I don't think we can afford a player, uh, you know, for what Virgil van Dijk cost. But it is... I think he shows what an impact one individual could make. Exactly. And I think it could be huge for this team because you can't help but feel 
part of the reason we're even playing with a back three is because Emery doesn't quite believe in the centre-halves to carry a back four. You know, so mm. it would open up potentially that option too if you got the right guy. I, I, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, obviously it's been a priority for some time at Arsenal. I think since we... Since we got before we got Mustafi, but especially since we got Mustafi, and he didn't prove to be the solution. Um, and you know, I know it's difficult to name names, but I couldn't have named you Lucas Torreira six months ago. So, of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, hopefully, Raul, uh, Raul and Sven can do their thing. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. It's a it's an important job they have, and it's important that the manager gets the backing of those people. Um, you know, you can't. You can't ask me or you to run fucking 100 metres in 10 seconds. You just can't ask somebody to do something impossible. Mm. So you've got to give, you know, give us a pair of rocket-powered roller skates and we could probably do it. But, you know, that's the, uh, that's the transfer market equivalent, uh, I think, of, yeah. of what we're going to have to do. But look, a disappointing day, a bad performance, management not quite as good as it should have been, but... There were mitigating circumstances. It is our first defeat in 22 games. You know, there's a need to just sort of say, okay, this wasn't good today, and we could see why it wasn't good, et cetera, et cetera. But now it's about responding and how we go forward from here. I know we've got a, a tricky week. You know, I I would rather not be playing a Carabao Cup semi or quarterfinal against Tottenham. I think we might have a question or two about that in the second yeah. half. But in Premier League terms... You know, the next couple of games we've got are Burnley and Brighton, which you would have to say are winnable games. A good chance for us to bounce back, to get two wins under our belt before we go to Anfield, which is going to be a very, very difficult day. So, you know, the, the, there, is a, there is a way of putting not a positive spin on it, but, you know, we can take stock, reassess, and maybe find a solution to some of the things that haven't been working and go again. That's what we do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if you look back at Arsenal teams in the past, when they've had these little unbeaten stretches, often not as long as this, when they've finally lost a game, it's felt like there's been a bit of a a reverberation to that. I and mean, they haven't necessarily resuscitated the horse immediately Yeah, uh, to, to really torturally stretch the analogy. And, uh, you know, there's been the games where they've dropped more points, drawn games, mm. lacking in confidence. It would be really great to see this team bounce back from this defeat in uh, in real style. I would love to see it. I mean, the Spurs game does present uh, a bit of a conundrum, which I'm sure we'll get onto. But you're right, in league terms, I think we've got to be looking to win those games, especially with, with Anfield on the horizon. All right. Well, look, anything else uh, from the weekend you want to touch on other than maybe just a quick laugh at Mourinho? Yes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always good. Uh, I mean... Long may he remain in the job. It's fantastic to watch at the moment. Jose forever at United. Mm. Jose at United forever, please. Uh, Okay, look, we'll take a break. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. And I'm going to start, James, with a question from Facebook. Mm. And I'm going to follow it up with uh, one from Twitter as well. But this comes from Matt Emony. And he says, I hate to say it, but I see a lot of value in putting out a weakened team against Spurs in the Cup, but so many disagree with me. My heart says, try to smash them, but my head says, we need to pick our battles and save our troops for another day, especially given all the uh, defensive injuries we're getting. Where do you stand on this? Can we just let one North London derby slip? It is just the Carabao Cup. That's my opinion, at least. And we had another question here from uh, Anish Chandoke, who says, Arscast regular Tim Stillman wants us to lose on Wednesday to avoid a two-legged semi-final. How crazy is that? Isn't the Carabao Cup more likely than top four? Not a major trophy, but Emery would love to win it. And just to clarify, Tim doesn't want us to lose on Wednesday. I think what he said was that maybe the best thing for Arsenal in the overall context of our season would be for us, I think he said, lose on penalties because then it's not like a a real defeat in a way, even though you lose the game. Uh, And just in the overall context of what we want to do this season, which is achieve a top four finish or get into the Champions League via the Europa League, that maybe we could do without two more uh, games in January, a double uh, two-leg semi-final and potentially a, a final and of course there is a trophy and I you know football's all about winning and trophies but I I kind of see the point of this one is I think it's the fact that it spurs of course just makes it complicated if we were playing anybody else I I would be all on for a completely weakened team but it, you know the fact that it's Tottenham adds an extra dimension to this and we can't escape that so how do you feel about this particular game I, I want to win it. I want to win it. Uh, because it's Spurs, I think I really would hate to see us lose. I just yeah. don't like giving them anything to crow about, whatever it is. And, you know, if they were to go on and win the League Cup, I know it's just the League Cup, but if they were to end their trophy drought, and I felt that we could have done something to prevent that, you know, I'd be sad about that. Uh, that said, I do completely understand the argument some people are making that this competition could do us more harm than good. I mean, ultimately, it matters more that we get in the top four than that we win the League Cup. And I know that that might be anathema to some people. I know some people might regard that as heresy, but I actually think at this point in the club's history, that is more important. You know, we've won domestic cups in the last few years and it's fantastic, but I think for us to get back to where we really want to be, we need to be in the Champions League. Yeah, yeah, it's a tricky one. Like you, I don't think he can 
I don't think he can th- throw is the wrong word, right? But if you put out a really weak team against yeah. Tottenham and you get banged fucking by two or three goals or more or whatever, you know, that's hugely damaging as well. You know, not just for for fans, but for Emery and for Emery standing among the fans. So I think he's going to have to play a pretty strong team. You know, he might well mix it up a little bit, but I think he's got to play a pretty strong team. I, I don't know what choice we have anyway. It's not as if you could just throw out, you know, I don't think you can throw in the likes of, you know, Joe Willock and, and whatever. Whatever about playing them in a, a dead rubber game in the Europa League where it, it literally does not matter what happens because nobody gives a fuck. Everyone gives a fuck about a North London derby, regardless of the, the competition that it's in. So mm. I, I do share the, 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 the opinion that we could probably do without the fixture congestion. And I think if we went out of the Carabao Cup to any other team, I don't know that too many people would be worried about it. But the reality is it's a derby. You know, some games or some opposition are more important than others. You know, and we've just beaten them in the league. And if we could beat them again in this, then, you know, it would be a real boost. So yeah. it's it's a it's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. I can see both sides of the argument, but I don't see any other alternative than to play pretty much, a, you know, the strongest team we can put out um, based on the players we have available because there are going to be injuries. Hector Bellerin's going to be out for... A couple of weeks, it seems. We don't know about Lichtsteiner yet. Um, we don't know how Koscielny's recovered. Mustafi and Socrates will be back, of course. Uh, Kalasinac, we don't know. I think we're going to have to go as probably as strong as we can and just bank on the players being able to produce at home against Burnley um, at the weekend. You know, it's a home uh, game. Yeah, I mean, I think there'll be... A bit of rotation. A Spurs bit. rested um, players this weekend against. Uh, they were they had Burnley at home and got a one 0 win late on, unfortunately. But they rested Son for the majority of that game. Eriksson, I think there were a few others who didn't play. Die over Tongan. So they, you know, they. I think they're looking at this game, looking to try and get the win. You know, there's pressure on Pochettino, isn't there, to to get a trophy, to get some some, some silverware on the table. Um, I think that we will see some changes. I think basically the players who are on the bench at Southampton, Lacazette, Ramsey, Ozil, I think they'll all start Wednesday mm. against Spurs. Um, I think central midfield, maybe you might see someone like an El Nenny come in. Mm, um, maybe, but I think he'll play Xhaka. Yeah. Maybe not yeah. Torreira. I, I mean, much depends, of course, on the physical condition of the players and the information that he gets from the from the medical team. But you know, let's let's also put this in uh, a slightly different perspective. We're looking at it through worst case scenario glasses right now. You know, we're looking at it with our glass half full, and. The reality is that there are periods of the season where you have to play three times a week, and we know, or we know that this is one of those periods. You know, the players yesterday more or less had a week off before the game against Southampton, and we weren't very good then. We weren't as physically up for it as Southampton were. So, you know, 
I think we can sometimes just get a little bit too caught up in what if, what might happen, and what's the worst thing that could happen here. And in reality, these are professional athletes who are used to playing three times a week at certain periods of the season. It's not ideal for them, and it does impact on the quality of performances and everything else, but it's not like we're asking them to do something unusual or remarkable, and that's why I think he'll go pretty strong for the for the game on Wednesday. But do you think Emery's tendency to name relatively strong sides in cup competitions has anything to do with the spate of injuries that we're picking up at, at this point? No. Don't think so. No? I don't think so. I mean, he played relatively strong sides in the first four Europa League games because he looked at the the fixture list and he saw that between Karabag and Vorskla, he had a North London derby, he had a trip to Old Trafford, and then that home game against Huddersfield. So I think he used those players well and responsibly because he knew he needed to rest them for the final two group games of the Europa League. And I think that was a sensible way of going about it because we won the North London derby and we got a point at Old Trafford. You know, I think maybe it's just um, coincidence. I don't know. I mean, he he does ask a lot of his players in in physical terms, doesn't he? We've seen the stats about how we run further than any other team. Yeah, this season um, we're doing more sprints and blah blah blah, you know. So maybe that's what it is. It might be the playing style, as much as uh, you know anything else, rather than the 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 yeah. the, the players the it's used, games, the volume yeah. of games. So maybe it is catching up with us a bit. But you know, we do have a very good medical team, very good rehab and and high performance team, and they'll be they'll be keeping on top of things uh, as much as possible. I think Licksteiner got injured in uh, the tackle. I think it was a a sore knee. Bellerin looks like a calf strain. Can happen at any point in a season, preseason or or whatever. I don't know what the the story with Kolasinac was. A tight groin, I think, was the... It's a worry because he's had a lot of muscular problems, hasn't he, since he arrived. Yeah. Um, And a few lengthy absences. So Mm. that is a bit of a worry. Um, Let's have this question, actually. This is... This plays into partly, I guess, the selection on Wednesday, but possibly beyond that. Tope, who's at Tuzlo T on Twitter, says, do you think we should restore Czech back to number one? Leno's errors are starting to mount. He's only played half our league games, but has more errors leading to a goal than any other player. Is that right? I'm trying to think uh, of I think them. he has more than any other player in the Premier League, um, I think, according to the statisticians. But, you know, when you're a goalkeeper... Errors will will lead to goals. Uh, yeah. So, what um, what are the errors? I mean, is the Spurs goal is that considered an error or just a, you know not a save? Um, I don't know. Let's have a look. Bernd Leno has made six percent of all the errors leading to a goal in the Premier League this season, according to Seven AM Kickoff, which is the joint most with Asmir Begovic. Right. Um, I'd like to know what they are before... It's three errors, is it? According to uh, Squawker and 7am kickoff. I don't know what they necessarily are Mm. off the top of my head. I think they are almost certainly on crosses, aren't they? I mean, there was one... I always think Selhurst Park, Crystal Palace, there was a... 
a flap in a lead up to a goal there, wasn't there? Um, yeah. Oh, a lead up to concession of a penalty. But maybe, I don't know if that would count. That would be Mustafi's error, presumably. Um, I don't know, but equally we can sort of make our own uh, judgment, can't we? Should check come back in? It's a difficult one. I think Leno's... Wednesday, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think so. And I think, in general, Leno's done quite well and he's good on the ball and he's... He's given us, I think, since he came into the team, a bit more assurance in terms of how we play out from the back. Certainly. He's a good shot stopper. He's made some really, really good saves. Yesterday's was a bad decision or a bad mistake or, or however you want to think about it. It was what... He did make one fantastic save, by the way. Yesterday. He did, yeah. It was brilliant from the header from uh, yeah. uh, Yoshida. Uh, again, question marks to be asked of our defence, how a guy can just run in and, and get a, a a free header like that. Um, I don't think it is time to restore check. I don't think so. I'm a bit worried about Leno and his culpability or his, his weakness with crossing or with crosses and, and corners and stuff like that because he is a bit unconvincing there. Mm. But in terms of what he gives the team... When we play out from the back, uh, his distribution is good. Uh, he's a good shot stopper. Is he going to be a world-class, brilliant keeper? No. I mean, I think, you know, maybe people won't like this, but he sort of, I get a whiff of the Mignolet off him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. And yeah. I don't, you know, it's just a, a feeling that I have. Our sample size with him is quite small. At the moment, so he's a new signing and there's still quite a lot of goodwill towards him. But I don't think he's done enough wrong to lose his place, is where I am where I am with that. Right, yeah. I, I think it's a really difficult one, actually. I think the argument to keep him is that, keep him in the team, is that, you know, we know what we're going to get from Czech. We've, we're trying to find out if Leno is a Mignolet or... Uh, and Edison, uh, and that playing him through this period and through these games is probably the way we're going to discover that, mm. the way we're going to get closest to realising his potential. However, with the defence being quite as ropey as it is at the moment and lacking in experience uh, in those positions, it is tempting, I think, to turn to Petrček, who, let's not forget with the exception of some awkward footwork, was very, very good. I agree, yeah, I do agree. Um, and if he performs well on Wednesday against Spurs, I think there is actually a decision to be made because Arsenal then have Burnley, who probably their best chance of scoring is from a, a cross or a set piece mm. uh, at the Emirates Stadium and Czech can be much more commanding in those situations. I, uh, I also don't think it would necessarily be a disaster for Leno to come out of the team for a period um, uh, and then work his way back in I, mm. it, I don't know I don't know uh, I think I'm going to go with sticking with Leno only because I, I sort of assume this is Czech's last season at Arsenal and so I you have to think about know, the future a bit more I have, kind of have to think about the future and you know maybe if we spent that much money on Leno I think we have to try and wring value out of that and see if he can be the guy for next season mm. and beyond. Um, but it's, I think maybe he's one error, one one more error 
away from me, you know, sw- sw- wielding the right axe. Okay, all right, we'll uh, we'll wait and see. Hopefully, we don't see that error. Um, yeah, that'd be nice. That would be good. Again, maybe we need to think of our glasses half full rather than half empty. But you know, I do understand. The concerns. So we'll we'll wait and see how he performs. David Winters, who's at David Winters eighty six, says, "What do you think about the tactics from some of the opposition team uh, teams lately? Feels like they're going in hard and late in tackles. Um, referees are not protecting us, but I'd like to see more reaction from our players. And also, uh, Beardy McBeardface says, "Is there anything we can do to counter the rotational fouling we are being subjected to, or do we just need to accept that it's going to happen to us?" Uh, I think it's kind of a compliment. Uh, I know that doesn't make it nice or right, mm. but we've, whenever we've been on a decent run of form before, whenever we've been a good team, we've been subject to that kind of treatment. Uh, and I think it's part and parcel of the Premier League. I think all you can do is hope that the referee controls it and you don't get a situation like the Huddersfield game where it's just allowed to persist almost indefinitely without retribution. You know? I, I thought there was an element of that yesterday as well. I thought the referee let a lot go in terms of yeah. the, the, the fouling that Southampton were doing. Um, what what can we do to, to combat that? Is it a, a Premier League referee's edict that they're going to let more go? Some referees probably won't. They could clamp down on the game a bit earlier you know I think there is there's this sort of thing isn't there where where a player if he gets booked early on in the game will say oh it's early or it's my first challenge but if a foul is worthy of a yellow card it's worthy of a yellow card in the first minute or the 90th minute when the foul happens doesn't make any difference that's why I think yesterday the referee should have at least booked Danny Ings because it was a late foul on Koscielny deliberate too I think um, bit nasty, could have been a red card. Again, it's water under the bridge at this point. What I would like to see maybe from uh, from our players is just, I'm not saying do that Roy Keane, Andy Durso thing, you know, where the United players chased him around the pitch and their veins were bulging in their heads and yeah. and everything else. But they let, referees know when things were going that they didn't like or didn't approve of. And if your players are getting kicked and if your players are getting fouled all the time, like there was a one on Torreira where he got a knee in the back and, you know, let's tell the referee. Let's get in uh, and around the referee and remind him that he's got to keep control of a game. You know, without yeah. winding him up or without getting his back up and making him more inclined to give us a card... I think we need to make sure that the referee knows we've been fouled and are continuing to be fouled. I mean, look at Licksteiner. Every time he gets fouled, he's fucking down holding his leg and rolling around. And maybe he's hurt or maybe he isn't. But he's leaving the referee in no doubt as to what's happened. Mm. You know, and sometimes a referee might see something out of the corner of his eye or might think it was 50-50. Let's make him think it was 75-25 or 80-20-80-10. you hear me? There's great maths again. But, you know, I think we could do a little bit more in terms of objecting to the treatment that we're getting. And also maybe give a bit back. Give a bit back. I think Koscielny gave a bit back to Danny Ings at one point yesterday as well, which was good. But... It's been a bit of a feature in the last few games that we have been kicked. And as you say, maybe it is a bit of a compliment, but also it's uh, it can be a bit dangerous as well because players can get hurt. So 
yeah, yeah. as we're seeing, yeah. I think you make a good point. I think it's about uh, making sure the referee is aware yeah. <laughs> of what's going on. Exactly, exactly. Just fucking make sure. Make sure. Uh, uh, this question comes from T Asterix. His name's written as who's at TV15 on Twitter. And T says, 34 points would put us top of La Liga, third in Serie A and second in the Bundesliga. Are things actually going better than we think? But the competitiveness of this season's Premier League masks it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why. I don't know what the relevance of of the other leagues is. Perhaps to highlight the competitiveness of the the Premier League, I guess. Well, I, I think um, it's that. You know, I think we we actually we're making very good pace in terms of points. But, but, but relatively sure. compared to others, I basically I think something strange is happening in the Premier League where it's sort of becoming polarised. You know, where there's a top six who are very clearly almost mm. almost in a separate league to the rest. But isn't isn't uh, La Liga, for example, more competitive this season than it has been in previous seasons? Because you have uh, one, two, three, four, what four teams? Within, you know, Barcelona are top with 34 points. Real Madrid are fourth with 29 points. You've got Atletico Madrid and Sevilla in there as well. So is that not more competitive than just Real Madrid and Barcelona streaking ahead of everyone? Same with the Bundesliga, no? You know, it's not just a Bayern Munich uh, fucking runaway. No, I think that's so, true. I think those leagues are genuinely more competitive. I would argue that the Premier League is in some ways less competitive because I think basically what you've got is six teams, well, five teams, who don't really drop any points mm. uh, and a bunch of other teams below who are not really part of that competition. I know you get occasional things like Southampton beating Arsenal yesterday, but I feel like there's a really clear delineation between the, the haves and the have-nots in the Premier League, mm. um, whereas I feel like it's a bit more equitable in Europe. Yeah. I, essentially, I, I think it's an interesting question because I think it's what it's doing is saying our results would ordinarily you know or in years past maybe make us better off than fifth but I think what matters is that we're fifth ultimately yeah and, you know we can only it only really matters the competition that we're actually in okay and, well uh, it, yeah go on I mean just in terms of in terms of that if we had how many points do we have now 34, 34. so if we had 34 points this time, at this point last season, we would be in fourth place, three points ahead of Tottenham and Liverpool mm. and Burnley, all of whom were on 31. This time last season, we had 30 points. We conceded 20 goals, so three goals fewer under the uh, defensive rock that is uh, Arsene Wenger. Um, so we we would have been, what... 34 points, he would have been 15 points behind the leaders, Manchester City. And this time around, we are nine points behind the leaders, Liverpool. No, 11 points, sorry. 11 points. So still a, still a big gap. I, I forget what the question is or what, what, what way I'm trying to frame this answer. Um, I think, but yeah, no, I mean, ultimately, I slightly have two. I suppose that the question was, are we doing better than we think? And I think the answer is, 
probably not because this is the landscape now mm. you know this is what this is where we have to be we have to be in the, this top four not the top four of Serie A or mm. not the top four of yeah. La Liga yeah 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 um unfortunately and it is uber competitive within that six that's what I would say I don't think the Premier League is like you know quite the sort of meritocratic environment everyone Mm. suggests but I think within that top six it is genuinely tight very Mm. very tight Andrew Dickens says a lot of people seem to have lost their shit over this game what percentage of shit do you think it's acceptable to lose I'm in single figures whereas some fans have completely emptied their guts (laughs) Um, I think that it's one of those where I think you're allowed to lose your shit afterwards, like in the immediate aftermath of the game. You, there can be a significant expulsion on full time. Right. But I sort of think if it lasts any longer than a couple of hours, I sort of think you need to see a doctor. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You need, some, you need some footballing emodium. Yeah, exactly that. Mm. Um, because, uh, you know, I was frustrated at full time. I was very frustrated whenever it was the Southampton winner went in. Uh, but with a little bit of distance and maybe slightly cheered up by seeing Jason Mourinho's sad face at Anfield, I think I can see it in context. And, you know, I haven't experienced that feeling of losing a game since August. Yeah. It's Christmas now. And yeah. I think that's all right. You know, I think you've got to be OK with that. Yeah, I think so too. I reckon about 14.3% shit is OK to lose. Yeah, and after that, you know, let's try and let's try and keep our shit together. Let's do that. Let's Let, listen. Do that. What about this question from yeah. Mark Holmes at Homester seventy nine? We've talked about Lichtsteiner a fair bit in the past couple of weeks, and he says, with Bellerin out, is it time for Jenkinson to be given a run in the team to see just how good he could be under a different manager? Um. I think Carl Jenkinson is uh, kind of a last-ditch option for us. Yeah. Would I? I do pr- have an interesting little tidbit about Carl Jenkinson, which is partly why I've okay. got questioning, which is simply that um, I heard anecdotally that in the few months that he's been uh, at Arsenal with Emery, you know, he wasn't necessarily expected to be part of the squad or significantly involved in the squad, but. He has apparently been really encouraged and pleased by how much individual coaching and detailed coaching has been applied to him. And, you know, I think that that reflects very well on Emery because ultimately Jenkins is probably not a player he was desperate to keep, but he's someone he's kind of ended up with in the squad. But rather than just say, well, just make the best of it, you know, you know, <laughs> play your odd League Cup game and get on with it. I think there is an attempt to improve and develop him as a as a defender and maybe there hasn't necessarily been a huge focus on that in the past yeah look he might be useful over the coming um the coming weeks he might well mm. prove to be useful uh I, i'm i'm not really that convinced by Licksteiner at all as a player mm. attitude wise he's having to use every inch of his experience to sort of get away with it in a he, game isn't yeah it? yeah yeah and that's good and you know there is a real benefit to having experience and to having the kind of character that he has in the dressing room uh you know i've got no issue with that i just think on the pitch it looks like we play a game that's too quick for him 
mm-hmm. um, particularly when we're when we're going forward. There was yeah. a moment yesterday where he, you know, was in a good position to put in a cross, and he took a touch, and it was blocked out, and it was just, it just looked like a guy for whom the game is a bit too quick. Uh, Premier League, I think, is probably the the fastest, most intense, physically intense league in the world, and he looks to me like a player who is finding it a bit of a, a struggle. Like you say, he's using every bit of his experience to stay, to stay in the games. Whether Carl Jenkinson is ever going to be anything but a, a, a kind of a last-ditch option, I'm not sure. Uh, he may well prove to be a useful member of the squad if injuries continue and we can get some uh, some reasonable performances out of him. You know, it's not like he's incapable of playing well, but he's a limited player. He's only ever mm-hmm. going to give you that much, you know? So maybe he will. I don't think it's time to sort of say, okay... Now Bellerin's out. Let's see what Project Carl can do, you know? I, I don't think that's it. But he might just prove to be a handy guy to have around in the next few weeks. Whose time is it if if we're without, you know, Bellerin for a period? Would you would you go with Lichtsteiner? Or I, I think I would maybe be tempted to go with Ainsley Maitland-Niles as the right back. Yeah, I mean, I think Maitland-Niles could probably have done a bit more yesterday in terms of chasing back uh, with Charlie Austin. Maybe. Um, But again, it's about coaching and about reminding him of what to do in in certain situations. In terms of the way we play and the kind of player that Emery wants at right back, Maitland-Niles fits that far more than Licksteiner does for me. So I would be tempted to to give him a, a run of games there. You know, especially when we're about to face Liverpool away from home, the idea of of Mane or Salah or Firmino running rings beyond and around Licksteiner is quite scary. And we saw the in the Liverpool game last season, didn't we, that, that Arsene Wenger had enough confidence in Maitland-Niles to play him at left-back against Salah. Mm-hmm. Because he knows he's quick, he's got good recovery pace, uh, and that's important in this league. And it's important when you're playing a team like Liverpool, who are, you know, as we saw yesterday against Manchester United, uh, quite the machine. So I would be tempted, if Bellerin is out, to use the Burnley game and the Brighton game to give Maitland-Niles a couple of games at right back. And if Bellerin's back for Liverpool, great, but if not, at least we've had him in there a couple of games and they can work with him on the training ground and, you know, help him analyse his videos afterwards and show him this is what you need to do, etc., etc. So, yeah, I would be inclined to give him a go there. I agree. I don't want to see Lichtsteiner chasing Salah and Mane around. No. <laughs> not something I need over the Christmas period. No, for sure. Uh, I have a question here and it is from Michael Deere who's at M.W. Deer. Um, and he says, simple question, why do you think we're so poor in the first half of games? Simple question. I'm not sure there's a straightforward answer. I don't know. Ding, 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 ding. Bingo, everybody. <laughs> I, I, uh, I think, um, why are we so poor? Do I you think, think sometimes it's... it's a line-up thing. Yeah. You know, sometimes the starting eleven's not quite right. Um, I think it's partly psychological. I feel like we've kind of 
started to lean on our second half a little bit. Um, and I wonder if maybe it becomes sort of self-fulfilling in that maybe opposition go, right, well, our, our opportunity to get at Arsenal was in the first half. So let's, you know, attack them early on, see what we, damage we can do. Yeah. Yeah, I do wonder if it's something to do with preparation and team selection, you know? And I yeah. can't believe that for 22 games or 25 games or however many games we've played this season, that there isn't some discussion in the dressing room beforehand about, come on, lads, let's start well today. Get stuck into them, you know, really really be up for this one from the off. I mean, we saw it in the Tottenham game. But I do wonder if there's a, an element when we play certain opposition of, okay, let's let's take our time a bit. And also, perhaps, this record that we have in the second half of games becoming a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy or a crutch in, in certain ways, where we think, okay, well, look, first half wasn't great, but we can always do it in the second half. And I think we, yeah. I, I, I can understand why that happens, but I do think we need to find a, a way of imposing ourselves on games from the off. Because when you, when you don't start games well, I think it can benefit the opposition. That sounds completely reductive to say if you don't play well in the first half, it's good for the opposition. But if they're expecting a tough game and you're kind of tepid and dismal in in the first period, it it. it it gives them a boost, which you don't really want to give them. So it's an important thing for Emery to get on top of. And again, maybe losing this game uh, against Southampton, uh, I'm not saying it's a good thing. Of course, it's not a good thing. But it might be something that lets him or makes him take stock about what way he's setting up his team and what way he's preparing his team and sending his team out for matches. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I think that as well, rotation is part of it. You know, whenever Arsene used to play the same team game after game, whenever he would mix it up, he would always talk about how, well, it took a little bit of time for the team to gel because, you know, they're a bit unfamiliar with each other. And we, we seem to do that every game, if it's a new system or a new personnel. So I think that is part of it too. By the way, I'm a bit distracted because I've just seen the terrific news that Manchester United have to face uh, Killian and Bat. Neymar and PSG in the Champions League so mm. really looking forward to that yeah there's uh, Liverpool Bayern Munich there's a big tie Tottenham That's have got big Tottenham have got Dortmund come on Dortmund Come on, I can get behind I quite like Dortmund so yeah. I'm happy with that yeah that's good I'm, I'm on board with that we've uh, got our draw of course um, later on today yes the Europa League yeah Europa League we'll, we'll find out did you see the uh, weird what's the tweet it's going to be played our second leg game is going to be played yeah. At 5 p.m. In London. On a Wednesday yeah. rather than the Thursday because there's a Chelsea game as well uh, in the very Europa odd, League. Very unusual. 5 p.m. is... That's ridiculous. It's going to that's be a, a nightmare ridiculous for the time. transport people as well. Well, um, why, why would they play it at 5 p.m.? You know, most people are still in work. It's I, really odd. I, I, I'm sure there's some sort of, you know, policing reason or something mm. like that, but it's very strange. The teams that we can get... It's a real mixed bag, isn't it? Um, some have you seen the list of potential opponents? Yes, I have. I have. Do you want to read Zurich's, them out? Have you got them there? I've got it in front of me. I've got Zurich, Celtic, Slap. I'll tell you what. I'll read them, and you say yes, you'd like it, or no, you wouldn't like it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Zurich. Yeah. Celtic. Yeah. 
I'd really like Celtic. I love a, a English Scottish European tie. Slavia Prague. Sure. Fenerbahce. No, not so much. Yeah. Olympiakos. No, I'm bored of playing them. We bored played them. I'm bored of you know. Rapid Vienna. Sure. Why not? Lazio. Hmm. I'm going to say no. They sound like they might be all right. Yeah, maybe they are. Where are they in? Uh, where are they in the Serie A table? I'll just have a quick look here have and a quick see. Look. I mean, you know, they're a sort fifth. of historic name. Fifth. fifth, yeah, no thanks. Yeah, and they're also kind of Nazis, so fuck them. Yeah, Malmo. Yeah, that'd be a nice trip to Malmo. Krasnodar, which I believe is in space. <laughs> 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 Welcome to the planet Krasnodar. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, we've never been to space before. Exactly. We 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 we're overdue a win there. It's in Russia, so no. Okay, uh, Ren. Um, sure. Yeah, that's in France. Or Rens, as some people would say. Or is um, it not? Is it not pronounced um, Rens or Rens or something like that? I don't know. Like a like a French goose honking. Yeah, well that's the that's the uh, the national uh, the symbol that's of that the town. Yeah, it's the mascot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Barte, Barte Borisov. No. Does Alexander Kleb still play for them? He is a player manager and he owns the club now as well. Right. Okay. And he plays all eleven positions. Lovely. Uh, Victoria Pleasant, the club searching for the elusive Val. Yes, no, um, but no, I don't want to. I don't want to play them either. Okay, uh, Club Bruges. Yeah, yeah, that would be lovely. I think Bruges is meant to be really nice. Um, okay, Shakhtar Donetsk. No, no, but that's who we're going to get. We're definitely yeah. going to get Shakhtar. It's far and they're quite good. And yeah, there's the whole U- Ukrainian thing going on in our Europa yeah. League. Oh yeah, we'll definitely play them. And then Galatasaray. No, 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 no. So we can't draw Chelsea, is the headline news, basically. Yes, but we could get them in the next round, I think. So um... I'd like Celtic. I'd love to, I mean, I'd love to see Brendan and he- heavily beat him. That would be nice. That would be nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it'd be a, a great, you know, good atmosphere. Parks, good atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. it'll be good. It'll be good. When was the last time you played them? Was it the time when Eduardo um, was castigated and and brought before the European Court of fucking Human Rights for his dive? I think so. Remember? I think it was like yeah. over Arta Boric. Right. Well, there. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind Celtic, but any one of the ones that isn't a really long journey, I think, would be fine. It'll definitely be one of the ones we said we don't want, though. Oh, for sure. Probably the one yeah. in space. By the time you're listening, you'll know that we're playing at 5pm in space. Yeah, yeah. On the outer reaches of the uh, the Beetlejuice fucking galaxy, whatever <laughs> it is. I don't fucking know. Anyway, we'll have the, um, we'll have the draw on Arsblog News. Um, as and when it happens. So there you go. I think that's probably about it for today, James. I think that's fine. But, Uh, you know, not as painful as we might have feared for the end of our beaten run. I think it's been... It's not been goodly, but it's not been... Particularly badly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right. Well, look, you know, onwards and upwards. We've got a big game on Wednesday and then a Premier League game on uh, Saturday against Burnley. So that's going to be a task. But look, nothing is easy in this life. 
nothing is easy. You've got to work hard and always give 100%. Give your maximum and you can always be proud of yourself. Isn't that right? Or something. I think so. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Something like that. Uh, okay. Well, look, we'll leave it there. Thanks as ever for listening. We will. Ca- oh, uh, yeah. We'll have to think about next week. Is a bit weird. Christmas isn't it? Eve, isn't Christmas. it? Christmas. Yeah. And is then, it Christmas and then, Eve? yeah. So what we got? We've got next week will be Christmas Eve, but then we've got a game, Boxing Day, Saint Stephen's 26th. Day. Yeah. Well, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You say potato. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's all you say. <laughs> that's I, all I, I ever say. Yeah, that's and that's potato, you say potato, potato, and you won't stop going on about it. Um, <laughs> potato man. <laughs> and then I um, in it Boxing Day, and then the 29th. We'll, we'll figure out. We'll have some sort of festive podcast. We definitely sure. will. We definitely yeah. will. All right. Well, look, we'll catch you on the next one, whenever it might be. Well, there'll be an Arscast on Friday, of course, so uh, you can join me for that, and we'll figure out the Arscast extra schedule. So until then, take it easy. Bye bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.